Hey, After Buzzers, before we move on to your next topic, we just want to say thanks to our sponsor, Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. Plus, there are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Also, Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. Plus, you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership, and it's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to Anchor FM to get started. Hey guys, what's going on? Welcome to the show. It is the True Detective After Show here on AfterBuzz TV. Yes, the Super Bowl is over. Yes, the Patriots won, but we don't know what the heck is going on with this missing kid, the three timelines, or why the hell Roland West has so many dogs. I'm going to break the whole thing down for you guys. I'm excited. I'll see you in just one quick second. You're tuned in to AfterBuzz TV, the ESPN of TV talk. Now, let the buzz What's up, everybody? Yep, that's right. I'm here. I'm hanging out. My mic's really loud. I'm going to just move down here and adjust the volume down. So uh, this should be a little better for me. So that's a little little quieter so I can hear myself a little better. Uh, everybody, this is the AfterBuzz TV After Show for True Detective. It's Season 3, Episode 5. If you have ghosts, I'm here. I'm hanging with you. I'm solo. Hello, Joni Amon. I just got a hello in the chat. I'm actually going to be in the live chat here. It's just to my right. I won't be able to totally 100% service the live chat like exactly in real time, but I'm going to do my best. I'm going to talk to you guys, and absolutely your conversation with me here will be more relevant than probably ever because uh, I'm going to be just bouncing ideas off of myself, and uh, and I can't wait to hear what you guys have to say. So, without further ado, let's get into the show. My initial thoughts. I really like this episode. This feels like the moment in the show where we start to go downhill in the sense that there's momentum, right? There's momentum being gained, and now it feels like the the mystery is becoming solved. And there's there's a positive and a negative to some of the elements that we kind of saw in this episode. Um, and I think probably, you know, the most significant element is that towards the end of the episode, Mahershala Ali's character sort of starts to realize that in the 1995 timeline, there's missing evidence. So there's there's fingerprints that have been removed. He thinks a backpack's been planted. Some of that's supposed to be a bit of a red herring because you're supposed to think maybe that his dementia and the way he's remembering as kind of an unreliable narrator, as I've talked about with you know my panel here before, would suggest that maybe he's remembering these things wrong. And that's why you can't totally trust the way that he's pushing the narrative that there's corruption going on. But as it is the fifth episode, there's only three left after this. I think it's pretty safe to say this is where that mystery is going. And, and I, I mean, that's... It's hard to have this show work if that's not the case, right? Like, somebody needs to be covering it up. That's what makes True Detective a good show. Some of that is derivative, right? Some of that feels a lot like season one. It's possible, though, on the other hand, that this is connected to season one, and we're going to find out. Um, I'm very curious to find out. I, I think this episode was really strong. You know, we did have a big shootout action set piece, kind of. We had one of those in season one with Reggie Ledoux. You know, have another one of those at the end of episode four in season two with the big shootout. And now you have one of those in this season. So on some level, you kind of have to do that. I don't really know how you do the show without doing that. But uh, nonetheless, I definitely think the show is kind of starting to move faster. And I'm intrigued. So those are kind of my initial thoughts. Um, guys, be sure to follow along the conversation. As I mentioned, you know, I can see there's 17 of you now in the live chat. You know, more joining. Leave your comments. I'll respond to you here. 
Let me know what you think. Uh, do you agree? Do you disagree with what I'm saying? And uh, if you want to follow along with me personally, my name is Ben Bateman. You can find me at Ben Bateman Media, Twitter, and Instagram. Uh, my lovely panel is not here today, Joe Sanfilippo, uh, Nate Miller, and, of course, Julia Carley. Uh, each of them is out of town for different reasons. Uh, it is Super Bowl weekend, which is understandable. You know, people have uh, different different things they have to do. I, I missed last week. But we will all be together next week. And in the meantime, I'm going to give you my, you know, unfiltered, unfiltered thoughts and such. So... Let's get into part one. Julie, on the video, in the 1995 timeline, 15 years after the initial discovery of this murder, we think that we have Julie on video. And, you know, our main character, played by Mahershala Ali, he went to the same police department to review the footage that his wife, Amelia, went to. And this kind of unveiled the whole weird thing with... Um, kind of unveiled the, the whole like weird thing with oh it says some, somebody just told me Mike C just said episode was last night that would make sense I saw somebody tweeting about it last night and I, I thought you know episode 5 True Detective how could they be talking about that on a Saturday but the fact that it aired last night does make sense considering the Super Bowl I could have watched it a day early crazy um, thanks Mike C for letting me know that nonetheless I watched it tonight um, so, so the question here is like in 1995, this thing starts to get unveiled, and it's this conversation between Amelia and Mahershala Ali, whose, char- whose character's name, Wayne, I just keep saying his actor name, not his character name, uh, and I'm going to just look it up here in front of me so that I have it immediately. Um, but this conversation starts happening about she had gone to this precinct and talked to this detective and claimed that she had an ex-husband, and that's how she kind of had information, and so on and so forth, and... It kind of rubbed him the wrong way, and it also, it also sort of rubbed me the wrong way, and I think most of the audience the wrong way when it happened. As you're watching, you're like, this feels kind of dishonest. What's she hunting for? You know, uh, Wayne Hayes, that's, that's, his, that's his character's name. So, all right, now that I have that, I'll stop referring to him as Marshall Ali. Um, you know, Wayne Hayes. And so, and so they have this conversation, and it's like, I went and saw this cop. There was, there was footage, and she's asking questions, and he's saying, I think you're a tourist. I think you're you're you know picking yourself off off the bad luck of others, and there is a weirdness to that relationship. So we'll kind of get to that in a second. But the first thing I want to talk about here is is Julie. You know, Julie's missing, and at 15 years later, they think they find her on this video. They're talking to a runaway kid who thinks he spent some time with her. You're kind of starting to get some slivers of information that she's out there, and that 1995 timeline seems to be the one that's really picking up. It's the it's the compelling timeline, which makes sense because. Again, it's kind of if you're comparing it to season one of True Detective, if you're if you're comparing it to True Detective, like you go back to or season one, you go back to the timelines, and it's like that that middle timeline when things starts to get really really weird in the middle. That's like the really compelling timeline, and I feel that that's kind of the same thing here with this story. So, first of all, you have to decide: do you think it's Julie or it's not Julie? And I think the answer to the question is Julie's alive in this story. I don't believe that Julie's dead. I really don't. Um, I think I think that Julie's out there, and I think in the modern timeline when this show ends, the catharsis that our characters, our main characters will experience will have something to do with finding Julie. Is that Julie on the video? Possibly not. Um, I don't know. I think it's a plot device right now to illustrate the relationship between Wayne and Amelia. So that's the next really kind of interesting part of the story. Um, and I think, excuse me, I'll drink some water. I think that the relationship between a writer 
and a writer's subjects. And this kind of this kind of goes in any type of writing, right? It's not just it's not just like a book writer, but let's say you write jokes, you're a comedy writer. Whatever it is, the subject that you're writing about, you have to make the decision to make your work more important than the respect or emotional well-being of the subjects you're writing about. Because otherwise, you'll constantly pull your punches, you'll protect the people you're writing about, and you won't get the best product. This is why so many writers are such narcissists, right? Have such big egos because they, they – and artists, I should say, not even just writers. It's like they believe that their vision is the most important vision. That's really what she believes. That's why she's willing to kind of probe her husband's career to try to get information for this book she wants to write. And it begs some pretty interesting questions, their relationship there, like where you're, you're sort of trying to figure out, like, whose side am I on here? You know, in the end of the day, is he a burnout cop? who really doesn't want to be doing his job and it's a means to an end. But for her, this is her passion and she's finding a portal into something that's really bringing her happiness. And she's also inadvertently helping him kind of solve the case. Is it that? Or is it exactly what he said, which is that like he's the long-suffering cop who's actually you know, doing his job and, and really committing to the job. And actually, she's just what he says. She's a tourist. She's somebody who, as we talked about in the last episodes, she is turned on. She is turned on by violence, by the intrigue, the enigmatic value of sort of the murder and, and the danger. It actually turns her on. We've seen it. We've seen that, like, their sex happens. Discussions of sex with her characters happen. She lets her hair down. She loosens up around this stuff. So is it kind of self-serving uh, is the question. Uh, and I think that's probably one of the most important questions. And, and those of you in the chat, I would really love to know what you think. Whose side of that relationship in 1995 do you fall on? I don't know if any of you guys saw the film The Wife. Um, you know, it's up for a bunch of Oscars right now. Glenn Close won the won the Golden Globe, and I think she's probably the front runner to win Best Picture. But there's a similar kind of relationship, a power dynamic between a husband and wife that are writers. And I, I don't want to spoil the, the film for you, but um, there's a power dynamic there thing that's that's really interesting, and it kind of reminds me of it. And it's like, you know, on what side do you fall? Um, all right, I got some comments here that I'm going to read. Uh, all right, we've got uh, Mike C says, "Great episode." I think Wayne and Roland killed the cop that planted the backpack, probably for Hoyt. Also, think Julie meant the DA on the stage with the dad. She said the man on the TV. Um, interesting. Okay, that that's cool. So you're talking about the call in from Julie and who she's referring to. Um, yeah, Joni Amon says, uh, no, she isn't dead. I don't think so. George in Australia says she's not dead. You're reading too much into Amelia. Interesting. I, I find that Amelia's character is one of the most complex in the show, and she's also one of the most interesting characters in the show because through three seasons, she's one of the most developed non-cop characters. Um, all of the developed characters last season and in season one, for the most part, have been police officers. Um, you know, you got a little bit of Michelle Monaghan's character developed in season one, but again, she was more of a function to serve Marty. She was really more of a function to, to like, uh, she built his character. It had less to do with her. She didn't get that much of her own arc somewhat. Um, Amelia really does get her arc here. She's, she's an important character and, and she's doing a lot. So, um, Michael, Michael, uh, Amalunki says, I really dislike Amelia. Yeah, I kind of, I kind of get it. Um, Oh, here we go. Uh, uh, George Australia says it's 1990, not 1995. Okay, that would make sense, actually, now that I'm thinking about it. That would make sense because I was trying to do the math in my head. He says 24 years. So it's 1980, 1990, and then uh, uh, 2015, which means 25 years, 24, 25 years. Yeah, got it. Okay, that's fair. (laughs) My my mistake. Um, But getting back to their relationship, there's also kind of this like – 
there's kind of this part of their relationship that is they'll fight uh, and they, they come to blows over kind of who's doing what right. And they both have this like bitter resentment of the other's involvement in this case. Not that they shouldn't be, but it's like the, the other one's involvement in the case seems to really piss each one of them off. And so I think that's really interesting. I think like you, you start to ask the question, are these fights, are, you know, these family problems, are they real? Or is it like two people trying to do their job and being kind of muscled in on? But without the other one, they would be less good at their job, right? Are they coexisting to serve the job better? I don't know. Um, excuse me while I have a little more water. Quick shout-out to Steph Sabra. I've got up in the booth. Steph, engineering the show tonight. Great host, great producer. How you doing? What's up? Great show so far. i got to get into True Detective. It's a good show. Yeah, I, I've said before, season one's my favorite season of TV ever. And this one's really getting good. This is starting to pick up. Mahershal is just so talented. It's crazy. He's. I agree. Everything he's in, is I'm just sold on. Yeah, he's, uh, he's really, really good, and he's doing a great job. So I, I, I recommend this season. I think you'll like it. It's nice that it's only eight episodes. You know, it makes, it makes actually paying attention to it closely, you know, pretty, pretty palatable. It doesn't take that long to do it. So, um, but getting back to it here, so I think their relationship is, is, is pretty important. And they're, I, you know, each timeline, it kind of represents something different, right? Because in the, in the modern timeline, it's his memory of her. In the 1990 timeline, that's the meatiest. That's the most important of, because that's where she's involved in the case. A lot of things are being revealed. You know, that she's kind of motivating him to do more. He resents her. He's angry. She's there. She's the sounding board. And back in that first timeline, the only real interaction that you see is she comes to see him after the shootout. And then there's this kind of sex scene that's weird. And I think, again, that plays back to their relationship is so founded on this this relationship unfortunately between like you know like police work murder gritty shit and sex it's so weird i he's got blood on his shirt from his partner he comes home this is in the in the 1980 timeline after this big shootout that i'm gonna talk about in a second and she's like what are you doing and he's unbuttoning his shirt and she just starts unbuttoning her, her dress and I, I believe that's the first time they sleep together in that timeline. That's the, I think it's the first one, unless I'm forgetting another one. Correct me if I'm wrong here, guys, in the chat. But, like, that's what starts the trend of sex always being sort of associated with uh, the case and the murder. Like, it's, it's really the thing. And so, again, you, you flash back to that 1990 storyline, and, and there's a you know, situation here where they go to visit – uh, Roland, Roland and his wife Lori, played by Jody Balfour. She's a new character, uh, speak, you know, speaking lines. We met her in the last episode, uh, and it's a really awkward interaction. They go and they're trying to talk and have dinner, and Amelia's kind of asking about the case, and Roland's pretty willing to talk about it, and it seems like Lori kind of wants to hear about it, and uh, really Wayne just doesn't want to talk about it. He he has real problems. He says, you know, like what you've been doing, like it's. It's fascinating that that part of the story, right? Because it's it's you're watching their relationship become immensely interesting, but you're also watching what's happening with the case, like that part of the case that's unfolding um, as they've reopened it. So again, and I'm sorry to jump around so much here, guys, but three timelines is just kind of what you have to do. You go back to the first timeline, and the first timeline they keep talking about, you know, how how somebody was wrongly convicted, and the person that was wrongly convicted was this Vietnam veteran who, you know, was collecting garbage. This guy um, whose character's name was Brett Woodard, right? So he, we, saw, we saw Woodard collecting trash in, like, this golf cart, in, like the very first scene when it opens. Um, and you're kind of wondering, you know, because he's, like, the obvious, 
he's the obvious uh, suspect, which is kind of why, in the context of the story, he's being pinned with some suspicion of this murder. Um, they've been talking about since the very beginning that actually, you know, so the wrong guy was convicted and they were going to maybe overturn the conviction. They weren't sure. And you didn't know who they were talking about. And so last episode, season four, it ends and there's this big shootout that's about to start. And, you know, it's all this local lawman justice. They're all pissed because, you know, Woodard's talking to the kids and they think he's up to something. So they run him down and, and you kind of feel for Woodard. I think, you know, I talked with my panel last week about this. That's a that's a trope. Going back all the way to like you know first blood with Stallone, it's just it's a very very used trope, which is the the post Vietnam veteran that has some amount of PTSD. It's not really a thing as much now because it's been so long. But in storytelling, movies in the seventies and eighties, a lot you had a lot of those characters. Um, you you like just you had a lot of those characters, and it was sort of an easy way to pin like you know these characters that are a little bit off. They're yeah, I mean, PTSD, I, I don't know. I mean, there's just... <laughs> oh, thank you, thank you so much. External shock, because I missed you on Riverdale, man. I, look, I wish I, I wish I could have gone back, but unfortunately, schedules being what they are, I can handle eight episodes. It's hard for me to, hard, hard for me to get behind 22 episodes in the middle of the week, so uh, maybe, maybe next season, but thank you so much for the support. Um, yes, I'm well. Thank you, External Shockwave. How are you? Uh, so... So, but like this guy, you know, he is this very predictable trope. And so that's why he gets the murder pinned on him. And you do feel for the guy. And, you know, you know, last week when the episode ends and you see front towards enemy, you see the landmine, you're like, okay, I get it. There's going to be a big shootout. There's going to be a big action scene here. These guys, they're all kind of dick bags. You know, they're all persecuting this guy for being something that they think he is, but he's not, or at least we don't think he is. You've kind of been given the reason to believe that he's not. And even his moment when he gets finally cornered by Wayne, and he says, there are services that will help you put the gun down. They'll work in your favor. And he's like, I don't want them to work in my favor. And what he's saying is, if you let me out of here, I'm going to kill you. I don't want to go to some weird halfway prison where I get, you know, treatment. That's not what he wants. He either, you know, he's like, I was doing okay. I would have been with my rights before I took out those cops. He said, the double tap missed you intentionally. I only miss what I mean to. You, I think I believe him. And he's basically saying to Wayne, like, look, if I'm going to start counting to three in my head, once I get down to one, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> so you're going to have to kill me. And Wayne's like, you're going to put it on me, huh? That's the part of their relationship that I thought was pretty cool was that's the that's the like I was in the service kind of deal that I always like when characters have that, you know, when they come from somewhere. It's like it's like if, you know, two people grew up without a parent or two people were in the military, like stuff like that. I always find that stuff to be pretty cool when you get that connection between characters. And he says that and it's like his point is kind of I wasn't going to kill you. I'm glad it's you. There's a great moment in Road to Perdition. I don't know if any of you guys have ever seen it. 2002, directed by Sam Mendes. It was a follow-up film to American Beauty. And, and if I'm going to spoil a moment for you here, if you've never seen it, but it's a beautiful moment. It's an incredible moment in movie making. And uh, Paul Newman is the age-old mob boss in that movie, and Tom Hanks is basically his right-hand man with a family. Tom Hanks' family gets murdered early on, and he ends up basically having to try to hunt down Paul Newman because Paul Newman's son, who's like a shitty, you know, spoiled brat, is the guy that he's trying to get to. And he, he needs him to give up his son. So finally, when all is said and done, he finds him. And it's this it's amazing. Honestly, guys, if you've never seen Road to Perdition, watch it. And if you don't want to watch Road to Perdition, look up this scene. But basically, Newman comes out of a diner. It's like back in the 30s or the 20s. And he's surrounded by four or five guys with guns. And you start to see with beautiful music playing in the background, this like flashes of a gun. And 
the guys, Newman's guards, are going down one at a time because they're being shot up from a machine gun. And all of a sudden, finally, Paul Newman's this elderly guy. It's his last major role. He was nominated for Best Supporting Actor for it. Hanks sort of shows up, and Newman looks at him, and he's like, I'm glad it was you, Michael. And he says it because they're from the same. Like, they're the same guy. They've both been in this, in this life, in this family, and it's such a beautiful scene. And it really reminded me of that a little bit, right? It's almost, I almost felt like Woodard was saying that. I'm glad it's you. See, when I'm working with three other hosts, I don't get to go on crazy tangents. But when I'm by myself, I can tangent all I want. So watch Road of Perdition. It's a great movie. Anyway, back to the show. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Uh, so, yes, there's this, like, huge shootout, and the bomb goes off, and it's crazy, and you see guys' bodies getting blown up and limbs going everywhere. And there's guys – I do have to say, picking up that scene a week later – the guys that all show up that are getting shot, it's hard to tell who's who or what's happening. I didn't like that. I thought that that was done poorly. Um, it's one of the downsides of picking up in a big action scene with a lot of headshots a week later because you don't really get to follow your characters quite as like – you're just not as aware of who's who. But you do find out that Roland gets shot, which you had heard about earlier. That's why he kind of gets that promotion or we think anyway. Excuse me. I'm going to take a sip of water. Um, oh, great. Awesome. Mike, Joni, George, great movie. Excellent movie. Great movie. Yeah. I love, love Road to Perdition. Um, so the big shootout happens, and that's in 1980. In the 1990 timeline, there's this moment as Wayne's going through evidence, and he has the moment where he's looking at the evidence board. Classic, classic cop show, cop movie trope. And he sees there's this backpack, and he realizes how could that backpack be hidden in this cubby space under you know, under the porch when there these bombs were going off, everything was blown up because it's pristine. It's brand new. And he remembers the backpack because he found Will's backpack in the woods, um, you know, or he found a backpack. And so it kind of triggers a memory for him. He sees it. And so there's that. There's the missing fingerprints. There's the fact that the shirt's all burned up. They finds it in the furnace. And he's starting to think, okay, this is a cover-up. It's just a little too convenient. And so this kind of asks a question that I think is really important. We as a panel, as a me, and as a you in the chat address, which is what's going on with Roland and his kind of resistance to letting Wayne push the narrative? Because, and when I say that, what I mean is one part of the narrative is that Wayne believes there's something, there's something foul at work. But because he's been such a loudmouth, he is, he is the, the rust, rust and coal of this, of the series. He's gotten himself in trouble by opening his mouth too much, by not following due process, by, you know, breaking chain of command, et cetera, et cetera. And Roland's a little bit more of a straight shooter. So he's kind of like, you know what? I'm not going to let you just run with your idea. You, you know, like we don't know that it's her. So he's, there's a moment, right, where, where um, Julie's father comes in at the beginning. He sees the picture of Julie. He says, who's that? And the black and white photo. And he's like, Right away, Wayne's just like, do you recognize this girl? And you can see Roland's just kind of like, oh, man, we don't know if it's her. I don't want to start pushing this narrative unless we have to, unless we know something. But at the same time, it's like, that's a great lead. Why aren't you showing the father? And it makes me think, is Roland hiding something? That's, that's kind of what different moments in this episode started to push towards. Um, so this leads us to Roland, which you know is important because at the end of the episode – we finally get the moment, the modern timeline, the 2015 timeline where Roland and Wayne sit back down. And you have, Roland, you, have, you have Wayne's son, played by Ray Fisher, drives him out there, sits him down. And some really, really wonderful moments, you know, like you, the two of these guys. I mean, Stephen Dorff, 
we've you know we've made fun of a little bit because of Deacon Frost and you know how do you not? But Stephen Dorff in uh, in the prosthetics and all the makeup, he has a really great scene with Marshall Ali, both of them playing you know close to seventy years old, and it's it's great. You know, it starts out and and like. That's the kind of scene that I think, and I'm not an actor, guys. I um, I moved out here years ago to do some acting, and I and I have done a bunch of it. And uh, now I you know I do I guess some acting, but it's very specific types. But that's this kind of acting, powerhouse dramatic acting. This is the kind of stuff that when you are a performer and you read it on the page, it's like, oh, this is going to be great. This is going to be a really good scene, and and this is probably the scene between these two. That when Stephen Dorff is thinking about the future of his career and what he wants to be doing for the next five, ten years, he's probably looking at this scene and he's circling this one with red pen. Like, this is a day to bring it. Because they both get, like, great beats. And the scene has a real emotional arc, which I think is so cool. Um, I, I love that when he first shows up, it's like, first, Roland is kind of, he's kind of stoic and he's resistant. And he's, and you know, you know throughout that Mahershala doesn't really remember everything. He's, he remembers some, and you know why he's there as a character, but you find out that you know he did something that really pissed off uh, Roland, and but he's not dropping that bomb until he has to. So he starts talking to him about the the case, and you know Roland's just like, I can't believe you're talking about this. I don't want anything to do with it. What are you doing? And I'd do anything to hang out with you, but I don't want to touch it. You haven't even apologized once. And I don't know if you guys have ever had that moment with somebody who you really feels like they owe you an apology, and you sit down with them, and Ten minutes, fifteen minutes, an hour passes. Even a day passes if you're spending more time with them, and, and they still haven't apologized. No matter how okay the interaction is, you know you're kind of holding on to it. It's creating the tone on your side, and that's what's happening with him in that moment. And and so he's just he's holding on to it. He finally says, and it's like, you've been here. You haven't even apologized once. And this is where the scene gets so good. This is the break in the in the scene. And he's like, I just I don't remember my life. I remember things, but I, I'm sorry if I did something wrong. I just don't I don't remember anything. And it's such a sad moment for multiple reasons. Because he's 70 years old, and if any of us have had a parent that's ever had dementia, a grandparent, that's such a hard thing to hear from someone. Because if he did remember, maybe, he'd be, maybe he would have more pride. Maybe his ego would come into play more. But it doesn't because he doesn't remember. He is truly, honestly saying what he's saying. I don't remember my life. How sad is that for both of us? I can't remember our, our time together, our friendship. And you can see Roland has obviously been very affected, very affected by the absence of 25 years, far more than he was letting on at first. Uh, there's a line in an earlier episode where Wayne says, like, once the case stopped, it just stopped. And obviously that's not the case. Something, something happened. We're going to find out what happened. They're going to share it with us at some point. But... Um, Yes, there you go. Okay, I'm going to share a couple couple things here because there's some really cool stuff here. Um, so Michael Amalonke says, easily one of my favorite scenes of True Detective. So sad. Yeah, a really, really, really good. Uh, one of the best ones I've seen. Drew says, that scene is, is sensational. It was so emotional. You could just see the hurt in Roland's eyes when Wayne is like, I can't remember my life. I can't remember my wife. So sad. Yes, so good. Um, Anthony Bolden, I've got, a, I've got a theory here from, I have an absolutely crazy off-the-wall theory that if Tom Purcell knew Julie wasn't his when she was born, murdered the real dad and kidnapped Julie, maybe the aunt is the sister of the real dad. Oh, interesting. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I could see something like that happening because there's going to be a bait-and-switch that happens at some point, and I think, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a pretty strong theory there. Like, it's either going to be something like that or we're going to find out that the girl who's running the the crime true crime tv series is maybe julie or something like that there's there's absolutely going to be something 
So, but back to the scene with Roland uh, and Wayne, and and I think it's really one of the defining scenes of the series so far. And it ends, and you're kind of like, I needed this struggle on Roland's part. I needed him to be clear that it's not going to be that easy, man. You're not going to just come here and be like, hey, two seventy-year-old dudes, let's let's rehearse this or let's let's uh, research this case. You know, he's kind of like. I'll walk around on a walker with you. I'll try this with you. You know, it'll be funny, but that's the best you're going to get. I mean, I'm not going to say, you know, let's get up and go and get our junior detective badges. So um, I think I think that was one of the defining scenes so far. So as far as the rest of the stuff in the episode goes, there's a couple of things that I do want to talk about. Um, you know, I do think dealing with Wayne's PTSD after the shootout in the 1980 timeline is important. You know, the way he's reacting, he's so upset. He wants to talk to his partner. He's saying, I'm not going to give my fucking statement again. And and you're sort of like how much of his character from the very beginning, from, from the 1980 storyline forward is really affected by the Vietnam stuff. Like how, you know, how, how much does that define him as a character? And I thought that moment was relatively telling. Um, He's just not, he doesn't seem like he's all the way there. His social stuff where, you know, he's really, really bad at – he's really, really bad at social cues. You know, he gets – you know, walks out of rooms and pisses people off left and right. So um, I think that's all really important. I do think – I do think, you know, there's – because there's obviously – there's there's threads that are starting to connect, right? And some of those threads are we're, – we're finding out that officers that were investigating this were murdered, you know, different pieces here and there. Um, and so that is going to all start to come together. But I like now that the story from the three timelines, we're starting to get a little bit more of a three line momentum. Um, I, I'm like actively anticipating the next episode, which with True Detective, it does seem like it takes usually two to three to really establish things. And then by episode four or five, um, starts to really kind of get us there. I, I, I do. Th- so I have some predictions myself that I'll share in a little bit. But before I get the last bit of the show here, guys, I want to remind everybody here, um, we are the ESPN of TV talk. That's what After Buzz TV is. It was founded by Kevin Undergaro and Maria Menounos years ago. And the point was that we wanted to be the ESPN of TV talk. So every single show on TV, if you like anything, if it's The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, if it is True Detective, it, if it's Black Lightning, whatever it is, we want you to be able to come somewhere and watch a show, a, a group of super fans talking about your favorite show, the content is free uh and you know we have a bunch of different youtubes like about a year and change ago we split the youtubes off right now this one's on the AfterBuzz tv drama youtube there's a, a reality tv one there's a, a live events one you'll find me on there sometimes in red carpets at big events like each one is really tailored exactly for what you want. So go please like, subscribe, comment. Give us a five-star rating on iTunes if you liked this review, if you're a fan of this show. Um, leave your thoughts there, guys. Five stars obviously helps. Four stars if you didn't like it as much. Three stars if I didn't do a good job. But, you know, explain yourself in the comments. That'll still be helpful for me. Um, but but just just please, guys, help us keep doing this thing by, by leaving a comment. Get involved in the conversation. And it's really meant a lot to me to be a part of AfterBuzz TV. I know it's meant to a lot to a lot of people that watch the show. And so please, you know, don't forget to tell your friends to to, you know, stay involved and, and, and do the thing and subscribe. That is uh, that is what I'm asking you to do. So let's get to the chat here a little bit. Uh, wow, the chat's humming, guys. We got some people in here. This is pretty cool. It's been growing slowly but surely. I like it. I like it. Um, all right, let's see here. Um, hmm. What do you think of the parked car outside of Old Wayne's house, says Michael Amalunke. Michael, I hope I'm pronouncing your name correctly. That's the fifth time I've said it. Um, I think that that car is probably just a plot device to illustrate how paranoid old Wayne is. Um, he doesn't seem like I'm having a hard time buying into the idea that elderly Wayne is going to be able to like solve this murder. 
Like, I don't necessarily really need to see elderly Wayne and Roland, like, creeping around with guns in, like, an old abandoned warehouse trying to find a killer. Um, I think there's going to be more of, like, a psychological twist that we're going to learn something from, but um, I don't totally think that that car is going to end up being relevant. Um, Drew Swelch says, uh, in, re- in reference to the fact that I have questions about the kid's dad, that is a sketch. What does everyone make of that? They showed it two times. It has to be important. Um, hmm, what, what is a sketch? What am I missing here? Uh, there's something in the chat that I probably have missed. Um, so I think probably what I would like to do is get to predictions, and then I will actually share some of your predictions here from the chat. And now, your After Buzz TV predictions. Okay, so Julie Purcell OD'd in 1988, right? We see a picture of her. She's got her arm wrapped up. She's in a hotel bed. And we, we know that Julie worked on a chicken line uh, close to 1980. She was, and there was, last episode, there was something to do with a guy that was running it. And we found out in this episode, based on Wayne starting to read Amelia's book, that he thinks Julie wrote the note, right, about, about the kidnapped girl. And because there was a line that she said when Amelia talked to her about, you know, children, there's supposed to be laughter, children are supposed to laugh, something like that. And so now based on that, he thinks that she wrote the note. If she wrote the note and someone that she worked with could have perhaps kidnapped the kid, it's conceivable that she was basically selling out her children. Oh, Lucy. Sorry, Lucy, not Julie. Yeah, 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 right. His wife was Lucy. Julie was Julie was the one uh, who, who OD'd, my bad guess. But uh, the, the point is I, I think that it's entirely possible that somebody that Lucy worked with at the factory is the person – that kidnapped the kids. And I think it's totally possible strung out on drugs or part of something that we haven't been introduced to yet. She's the connection that led the killer or the kidnapper to the kids. Um, that's what I'm beginning to think. And I, and I kind of think that's where the story's going. I also think there's a decent chance that we're going to connect this to season one. I don't think it's going to be crazy, but I think they're going to give us like an Easter egg or something that, uh, that is going to be the thing because as we're starting to kind of get the, the way this is working, there's some weird stuff with the family. Um, not, they don't totally feel like they're telling the truth. And I just think that that's, what's going to happen. I think it's going to be somebody that, that Lucy worked with at the factory is, is the culprit. And we're going to start to find that out. So, um, that's going to wrap up my predictions. Anybody here in the chat want to share a prediction? Anybody? They, uh, Hmm. Yeah, there you go. Mike C. Why did it take Wayne so damn long to read his wife's book? You know what, Wayne? Sorry. You know what, Mike? I literally have that written down here on this piece of paper. And I, I found it to be really curious, actually. What, sorry, I gave you guys the fake out. Um, I found it to be really curious as I was getting to that point that he was reading the book because you're like, okay, you're 70 years old. It's been 25 to 30 years since this book was written. And I know all the stuff you're saying about it being tor- – you know, it's tortured to, to actually read your own thing and, like, you don't want to read stories about yourself – but some of that feels like that's that's bullshit. Some of that feels like that's going to be something he's realized that he has read the book or he didn't read the book for a reason or he's been repressing a detail in the book or something. Because it doesn't totally make sense that somebody as interested in the truth on this case for as long as he was would not read a book with essential pieces of evidence. That's, that's definitely a piece that was – yes, there you go. Yeah, and, Andrea Moon says it's very possible he read the book that he forgot that he read it. Um, 
Totally. Oh, here you go. Mike C. On, on Interviewer's computer screen was Russ and Marty's case. So, yeah, there's a connection there. I, I really do believe that that's going to be a thing. And I think it's totally possible he has read the book and he's forgotten about it. That it's just I'm, it was it was like a red flag that went off in my head, too. It doesn't make a total great amount of sense that 25 years later he still hasn't read the book. So, um, all right, guys, that's going to wrap up. That's going to wrap up my, uh, my after show here, my solo after show. So if you want to follow along with me personally, find me on Twitter, find me on Instagram, Ben Bateman Media. Let me know what your thoughts are. Leave your thoughts in the comments below if you're watching this on YouTube. We'll be back same time, same place as the normal show next week with the full panel back in the studio. Thank you so much. Steph Sabra, thanks for running a great show. Tight ship tonight. Our founder, Kevin Undergaro, and me, Maria Menunos, would like to thank you for tuning in to AfterBuzz TV. Remember, we're not just the first, we're the biggest in the world, and we're the only destination for all your favorite TV shows. Whatever you crave, we've got it. So go to AfterBuzzTV.com and check out our lineup. Buzz you later. <laughs> the views expressed herein are those of the host only. do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals.